Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Gold Prospecting Network. We have a fantastic show planned out for you today. Our guest is a real self-made prospector and miner who's been involved in the industry for most of his life and will be joining us today to discuss his experiences prospecting throughout British Columbia and the Yukon. Many of you know him as the popular cast member Bernie Kreft from History Channel's TV show Yukon Gold. Thank you, Bernie, for being with us today. Um, I wanted to start off by asking you, where did prospecting begin for you? Uh, you know, it, it really, it started at an early age. My dad was a part-time prospector who, you know, tried dabbling in placer as well as hard rock. And I, I went on all the trips with him and, you know, you get to see things. And I think a couple of the earliest memories I have are, you know, I'm about four or five years old and we went out to a placer mine on Hunker Creek in the Dawson area. And a guy was pulling out these fist-sized nuggets out of the ground, and I just thought it was fabulous, you know. And I remember going home later that summer and constructing what I thought was a sluice box and running water into the box in my backyard and then shoveling clay and black dirt from my mom's garden into the sluice box and subsequently flooding the neighbor out. So They must have been happy about uh, that. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, strangely, there were certain things I got in trouble for. That was not one of them. Uh, everybody thought it was cute. Even the neighbor was laughing. Huh. So, you know, and then uh, I think another one, too, is uh, so for the hard rock end of things, I, my first memory was my dad had a, a copper property and he was diamond drilling. They bought themselves a little winky drill and they were diamond drilling on the copper property and to keep me out of his hair, he gave me a, a little bucket and he said, for every bucket you can come back with uh, full of copper stained rocks, I'll give you a dollar. So, you know, there you are, I think I was maybe seven years old running around the hillside and I found an old blasted out showing and I was coming back with bucket after bucket every five, ten minutes. And so that that afternoon it got pretty expensive till I finally fell asleep from <laughs> exhaustion. So you started this you know. at a really young age then. Um, and is this where you learnt how to prospect, the, the, the geology behind everything? Um you know, the, the geology comes just through, for me anyways, I think most of my geology came from talking to uh, geologists, dealing with geologists, ge dealing with other placer miners, you know, and, and just basically the, the more active you are in the industry and the more people and the more, you know, things that you have to try and accomplish, uh, the more you're going to learn. And I think a lot of, you know, like I have zero zero official training i haven't even taken a prospect really? course oh yeah really that's that's so. quite interesting you, you've been a prospector for an, well almost your entire life and all of this has been pretty much self-taught everything everything well that's, that's everything that's very exciting to hear especially for a number of people who are trying to learn uh the art behind it and, and it is something that is quite difficult to get into well, well let's put a little bit of a disclaimer in with that it takes a lot of learning though like uh, right now I've, I'm, I'm sitting in my office and i've got a pretty healthy library around me i got a i mean i'm, I'm looking at all these books and books and books i've probably three four hundred books innumerable wow. reports uh you know and that's not including what's already stashed on my computer so and every one of these things i've read so you spent just you know, as much money in books as you have on mining properties 
Well, not quite. <laughs> you know, I've spent I've spent millions on mining properties over the years. I'm sure of that my my library collections probably maybe twenty thousand bucks. Holy cow! Wow. So why don't you yeah. why don't you walk me through the process of of hard rock prospecting, which makes up quite a bit of your portfolio? What is it that you're looking for when you start prospecting a new claim? Uh, you know, by by the time you start prospecting a new claim, you've already done a whole pile of research, which hopefully has given you a pretty solid idea where to go and what to do, right? Uh, you know, and that's specifically for hard rock, but even placer, you know, I mean, it, it helps, you know, whether you're doing hard rock or doing placer, it helps to know the district, it helps to understand your target, it helps to get a feel for what the previous guys have found, how they found it, you know, the different indications, and, and so you can spend, you know, weeks just reading up on, you know, your next target that you're going to go mm-hmm. to. And, and I have the kids working with me right now. And in fact, we're putting together what we call little compilation maps and then and little miniature, you know, six, seven page reports uh, detailing all the historical work on some of these hard rock prospects that we're going to mm-hmm. go to this summer. And, you know, I mean, that's how we keep busy in the wintertime. It's, it's just putting this data together so that in the summertime you're not scrambling around trying to figure out exactly where you're going you know like just so you exactly know where you're going you know what i mean yeah exactly and i mean you brought up a good point there um something that i wanted to to get into was your season begins the moment you're able to get out to your properties and it ends when the weather kicks you out but when does your season actually start for you and and when does it actually end Uh, you never really there's I mean, the season's constantly ongoing, right? We're we're constantly doing research. We're constantly uh, learning new exploration techniques. Uh, every year, every winter, we try and find a couple of new techniques, uh, bulk mineral sampling, uh, you know, geophysics. We try and learn, understand, you know, perfect, and maybe even add in some of our own stuff. So, yeah. Uh, the summertime, yeah, we're in the field, we're in the forest, and that generally starts on or about May 1st and ends on or about, you know, middle of October. Yeah. But that, that winter time is certainly by no means dead time. Uh, this, this winter alone, I think I, I wrote uh, 17 assessment reports for various hard rock projects that we were on. And and then a whole bunch of in-house sort of private data that we, we stash away as well. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, and then the research, right? So I mean, it, it just it goes. It's a never-ending cycle from from the end of prospecting and mining in you know, say, the middle of October again, through to January. You're you know, finishing up permitting, or not finishing up permitting, but you're finishing up reporting and and data compilation from your mm-hmm. past season, and then you're getting into new permits, new reports, new applications, uh, new treasure maps, and, and then getting ready for the start of the next one. Yeah. And, and you, you've mentioned in the past that m- uh, placer mining is just a small portion of your, your ventures, and hard rock makes up the remainder of, of what you do. What is it that drew you into hard rock mining over placer? Is, is it because you grew up with uh, your father working in a copper miner? No, I mean, no, he didn't work in the copper mine. He was exploring in the copper mine. But we, we spent a lot of times both looking, like I said, that that one trip I made to Hunker Creek. I mean, that was fabulous. Yeah. I was Again, I was five or six years old. This guy is shoving dirt into the sluice box, water's flying everywhere. And, yeah. and then the water goes off and the bottom of the box is yellow with these fist-sized nuggets. And it's like, holy smokes, you know. I, I, I <laughs> can only right dream of that day, personally. <laughs> Pardon I, me? I, I could only dream of a day like that where I'm pulling out fist-sized nuggets. 
Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's there's some of that ground still out there. It's getting harder and harder to find as as people chew through plaster ground. I mean, oh, I think it, there's there's a future for hard rock, but I think there's going to come a a time or you know a place where plaster mining is just. Mm, you know, we're, we're chewing through the reserves, and I don't yeah. think there's a lot of people out there finding new reserves to replace what's being sluiced away. Yeah, well, there's 150 uh, years worth of mining experience in, in you know Western Canada, and yeah, it's it's been gone over a few times. So it's like you said, it's the reserves. It's we're picking what they missed. Yeah, and then in a lot of these spots, like uh, there's fewer. You're going to have to step farther and farther out of the traditional camps. Um, you know, in the traditional camps, like say right in the Klondike itself, there's fewer and fewer of these large properties that can sustain a, an operation for more than a couple of years. Yeah. You know, so those property sustaining or those company, you know, those uh, company sustaining properties are becoming harder and harder to find just simply because they're getting slowly mined out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. So placer miner or mining seems to be all the rage these days. Uh, is there a reason behind that that you can think of? Is it because of the, the shows? Uh, you know, even back in 1980 or 81, 82, and I vaguely remember this because I was still young at the time, but uh, there was a pile of activity, and that had everything to do with the high gold price. So I personally think, you know, you could have the shows on, but if it wasn't for the gold price, people you know, would take it just as a curiosity and leave it at that. But because of the combination of the shows and the gold price, it's kind of got this perfect storm directing everybody out into the forest yeah. to go fetch some nuggets. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I can remember when I first started prospecting, it was around 2008, uh, and it was actually, mm-hmm. um, it was the legend of Shlumax Gold that got me into it. I, I remember thinking to myself, there's no way you can just grab a gold pan and find gold in a river. So a week after I read this story, I ended up going out to a uh, an electrical store in Vancouver that sold gold pans and headed out to the Fraser River out by Hope. And sure enough, I found a few flecks of gold, and that got me hooked right then and there. So I'm, it's it's incredible what small things can do. And then as, as these, these TV shows started coming on board, I started thinking to myself, well, there's more and more people that are appearing online in forums and asking questions about this, spending a lot of money and buying up these, these different uh, cells around BC and... It, it grew quite a bit once, you know, Gold Rush hit the TV show or hit the television. Oh, I, I you know, like I said, again, it's it's a two-part answer to your question. Yeah. What's causing the, you know, the rise in activity? It's obviously the shows, but it's in combination with the price of gold, right? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, uh, last few years in the Dawson area for sure have been super busy, and a lot of that's just, I mean, the campgrounds are full. There's people running everywhere. There's... Wow, you know, yeah, yeah, just wow. Is is hard rock mining a little bit more difficult to get into? Is it harder to learn, uh, and and is it more expensive to do something like that compared to placer mining? Uh, I think the majority of people placer or gravitate to placer due to the sort of instant gratification that comes from finding a chunk of gold, and you know, it's it's also all about the startup costs, right? To put together yeah. a or up large enough to support a family is pretty expensive. So, I mean, it all depends. Uh, you know, they, they they gravitate towards it, but are they really truly, you know, doing it as their sole source of income, or is it just a, a weekend hobby? What is it? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, I I personally I personally went towards 
hard rock over Placer, not because I didn't love Placer or, you know, loved hard rock more than Placer. That wasn't it. It was just for me to put together an operation sizable enough to sustain a growing family was pretty tough back when I was starting out. For me to buy a rock hammer, some sample bigs, a GPS, and some maps, yeah. and go hard rock prospecting was pretty simple. Yeah. But, you know, again, to rent an excavator and a sluice plant and a pump and a gen set you and find a, a decent enough piece of ground was almost impossible or, well, certainly out of the realm of imagination. Not that yeah. I didn't dream of it, but it just wasn't there. you, you got to have some pretty deep pockets to start getting into heavy equipment like that. That's That's for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and then you can always do it for for fun or for a hobby, and 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 you know that's perfectly fine and all right. I just thought, you know, trying to again support two kids and a wife and a house and trucks and school and the whole nine yards. It's tough, right? It, so you're telling me. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, are you drawn to any other commodities other than gold, such as silver or platinum? Uh, you know, we, we prospect a wide variety of targets, right? So we, we've done everything from uh, just plain gold targets, gold, silver, uh, copper, molly, gold, uh, lead, zinc, silver, you name it. Uh, some of the fringe elements like, uh, oh, God, uh, you know, just tungstens and stuff when you start getting into the sort of elder outer realm. And, yeah rare earths and things like that. No, I haven't gone into that. I haven't done a lot of uranium work. Um, but, you know, the basics, again, gold, silver, copper, lead, zinc. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. You work throughout the Yukon and, and British Columbia. Have you explored or thought of exploring other areas outside of that region, perhaps into the southern U.S. or eastern Canada? You know, about the only spot I'd actually consider going would be somewhere a little bit warmer so that when you're in the wintertime, you can... <laughs> well, you're laughing, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, you know, as you're sitting here and, and working on report number 15, and it's uh, January 22nd, and it's 28 below outside, yeah, you know, yeah. you start you start thinking about, boy, it would be nice to be able to run around out in the forest somewhere and find some minerals and... You know, and I've been to Mexico on holiday a few times, and you know, it's it's it wouldn't be much to actually jump into a little car and go prospecting somewhere in Central America. Yeah, probably be a lot of fun. But you know, at the end of the day, we we have enough stuff throughout BC and the Yukon to keep me and the boys busy, and, and yeah. that's what it's all about. So okay, okay, and and making a living off of prospecting is 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 very difficult. Um, especially because it's it's hit or miss in a lot of areas. If you don't do your research, if you don't do your testing, you're going to have problems. More self-starters fail in the industry than succeed. What's your take on this? Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of factors in play here. Uh, luck is one, uh, knowledge, experience, uh, developing enough contacts, uh, you know, your desire, uh, the time, the amount, you know, like just even simply the amount of time a person can devote to prepare and study, right? So I, I go back to the whole research thing. So we spend probably seven, seven and a half, seven months researching and preparing mm -hmm. and the other five months working. Yeah. And of those five months working, you know, there's quite a few research and prep days in amongst those as well. So... 
you know, if you can't afford to prepare and research, you're probably not going to be successful. Um, after that, again, you know, luck for sure, serendipity plays a role. Um, you know, even developing contacts. Like, I remember the first Hard Rock property I ever staked that became anything. Uh, you know, I knew it was a target. I went out and I staked it and I acquired it and did all the work. But it, it took me about two or three years to sell it or, you know, not sell it, but to option it out. Yeah. Right? And to get a company in to start doing some work and start paying me some money. Boy, it was tough. But yeah. once you get your first property out the door, and it has to be kind of like a high-profile property, once you get your first high-profile property out the door, then people start recognizing your name. Yeah. And then it becomes a lot easier. But before that, you know, you're, you're just another name in the crowd. You're just another faceless whatever, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, Because yeah. these, these companies, the, the target companies that you're trying to either option or vend your properties to, uh, you know, they have a lot of people knocking on their door all the time, and that's you got to have something that sets you apart from the crowd. Yeah, I'm sure they have to do quite a bit of weeding out of, of the people knocking on their door with low-grade properties they're trying to option out. Oh, yeah, well, you know... Uh, it's not the first time, like, and I've seen this. It's it's like, hey, Bernie, what do you think about this property that I picked up here? And then, you know, other property or other prospectors will come to me and ask me questions like that. And it's, wow, you know, uh, you've got yourself something good, but nine times out of ten, it's like you're scratching your head and you're wondering, what on earth is this guy doing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, where are you going with this? Yeah. <laughs> so... You know, it's it's a funny game. It takes a lot. You got to learn. It right? takes a, it takes a tough skin. It takes a certain kind of person. Yep. You mentioned earlier the costs involved in in getting up and running, and there's yep. been a number of people in uh, around BC talking about the minimum amount required for reclamation bonds being increased by the Ministry of Energy and Mines. Uh, some have even said as high as twenty thousand per hectare uh, for reclamation. How do you think this is going to affect grassroots prospectors who depend on small scale mining for a living? Well, again, you have to kind of differentiate between, I think, grassroots prospectors and and people that make mining, you know, their living and and then small-scale stuff. I think, obviously, if the disturbance amount gets put into the stratosphere of too much, it's going to really hinder the industry. But at the same time, you know, you have to have... Uh, what am I trying to say here? You know, again, like I said, if a person truly depends on prospecting, the bonding requirements are probably a non-factor. Uh, they may square scare away people that are only sort of part-time or small scale. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think the people that are long-term and uh, and are there are going to have to just bite the bullet and pay the money. Again, they have to kind of keep it reasonable, but. You know, it's 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 also too a function of people leaving behind a bunch of a garbage and yeah. wreck and disaster everywhere. Like, come on, you I know, have, I have like, seen it's quite embarrassing a bit of that. when you go. It's embarrassing when you go to these properties and you see junk everywhere. Yeah, you know, old oil cans and then big oil stains and then a broken down piece of machinery and, and then, half burnt down cabins you know, that have been structured overnight. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And then, you know, and it is, it's frustrating and it's, you know, and it's a piss off to me. And just imagine if you're an environmentalist and you, you know, you're out on your daily dog walk and suddenly there's three KFC containers and, and a, a bucket of oil and, and a used gold pan. And, you know, it's, oh, you know, it, well, they it's just certainly... hate you. It certainly gives a black eye to the industry and, and, and prospectors and miners in general. And I, I can't count how many times I've gone through the Likely area or I've gone through the Wells-Barkerville area or I've gone through the Coquihalla Valley and, and mm-hmm. seen all sorts of trash that's been left behind by, by other people. Um, not just prospectors, but other people that are out just using the backcountry for fun. It, yeah, no, it, for sure. No, and, and again, it, 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 it's like a pendulum, like people will react and generally they're going to overreact and then once the pendulum kind of finds its happy medium you know but yeah. right now i think there's a lot of push push against you know plaster miners and especially the the ones that leave the garbage around and everybody's getting tainted with the base same brush right yeah so, yeah you know it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, let's let's. Well, something needs to be done some way, but it's going to be tough to find mm-hmm. out who who's responsible for this because it's so remote. Most of these areas. But, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, while filming Yukon Gold, you seem to have a bit of a rough go last season. That you were you were on season four. Um, mm-hmm. Research is key in prospecting, and and you ended up with some old drifts underneath that that property that you had. What happened with that lease that ended up shutting down your season? Well, we, we knew there were workings there, right? And that's what drew us into the area to begin with, right? So when you go down prospecting down the creek, we could see a series of shafts here and a cabin and some old workings and some more shafts and another cabin. And so that was part and parcel why we went to the property in the first place. Now, where we started the cut, we were started downstream of these old workings. We kind of mined our way up through some virgin ground and clanged into the old workings near the tail end of our season, right? Yeah. Uh, they were a lot more extensive than I hoped, right? We yeah. knew there were going to be some shafts. We we didn't know there were that many shafts. Uh, I think we counted three. We mapped out three shafts before we started. So before we even mined, we put together a little surficial topography map and mapped out various features, put GPS coordinates, you know, did a nice pro job. So I look back at the old map that we did of the area, and, and we noted three head frames, so three shafts. But uh, the reality was there were seven or eight shafts and the rooms underneath, right? So as they tunnel down through the black muck and then clean out the gravel on bedrock, the rooms were way more extensive than we imagined. So really? when you get a tripling all in them, well, three to seven, so you get all, over a double of the shafts that we thought, and then the rooms underneath were so much more extensive than we imagined. It, you know, I mean, it's yeah. just, that is what it is, right? And the processes of time are pretty good at healing the earth, right? Yeah. So, and, and I mean, you know, when, you're, yeah. when you're dealing with the property that was mined, you know, a hundred years ago, it's, it, yeah. they're not always accurate on their maps. What's where and how much is there as well? And that, yeah, I've, no, I've, the historical maps you can basically throw away. Yeah, right? I've, I've come across a few of those in BC myself where I've been looking at yeah. the um, the MinFile reports and trying to determine mm-hmm. what's on the property that I've picked up. And, and you get there and you find out it's it's not actually on your property as it said it was. It's four properties over. Yeah, or the, the numbers are exaggerated or... Yeah. You know, yeah. who knows? Yeah. Like, I see it a lot. I see it a lot in the hard rock end of things where... You know, maybe the hard rock surveying or the surveying of hard rock targets was a lot better. 
Yep. There was a lot more, you know, grid, topo, control, whatever. But then in the hard rock things, the the self-promotion or the over-promotion or the outright lying was pretty rampant and prevalent yeah. back in the yeah. day, you know? Yeah. So, but in the Yukon, there wasn't a lot of old data to go on. Again, you know, a lot of big mines. This would have been considered a small mine back in the gold rush day. And, you know, just the data that we had was certainly lacking. Again, that's why Mm -hmm. we did the field work for it. That's why we mapped out the entire property. But again, you know, uh, the shafts fill up with silt, trees grow on top, and away you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So... I'm pretty confident a number of our listeners uh, have watched a number of the, the various shows that are on TV, and, and they do a great mm-hmm. job of dramatizing what actually happens out there. In a 10-episode season, it's filmed over the course of a full mining season, and, and what I'm looking to get at is, is how do you think this affects how mining is viewed? The, the amount of stripping that goes on before you sluice, I mean, holy yeah. smokes, yeah. Our, our stripping ratio on that creek that we were on in season four was five to one. So oh. for every yard we sluiced, we had five yards of stripping. Wow. And, and, you know, and we had some nice, uh, you know, little chain, you know, the, we had the, the big machine in the bottom of the cut, ripping the frost, throwing it to the side. The, the mid-tier machine would dig it out of the bottom of the cut and stack it. And then we had our little machine running along on the top of those piles and, and throwing it again. So we yeah. had this, and it was a hell of a system. But, you know, again, were they interested? No. no. Did they care? No. No, you not know? at all. Not at all. <laughs> And then when we reclaimed it, do you think anybody was around to film? No, they were probably <laughs> you know, the sitting camera in guy, Mexico. Yeah, the camera guy, by the time we got to reclaiming it, he was asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how do you think filming affected your ability to get the job done? Uh, they take a lot of time out of a person's day, right? Yeah. With the filming, right, it, it seems simple, but let's say, you know, on, on a, if there were four, say, four teams... On the show, you know, you got 10 episodes, 10 hours divided by four, two and a half less commercials. You know, maybe we're on for an hour and three quarters or an hour and a half, right? Yep. Over the whole season. Well, how many hours do you think we actually put in and how many do you think we were, you know, how many made TV? Yeah. (laughs) Well, the ratio is ridiculous, right? So... I, I would say those those guys are constantly filming. I mean, I got to hand it to the guy we had in season four. His name was Darren, and he was a shooter director. We had a sound guy. We had another guy in the background taking notes, and those guys were running around, you know, for a good eight nine hours. Well, they'd get tired by the end of the day and sit down <laughs> and fall asleep. But uh, by and large, you know, the camera was constantly running. So if they're there. You know, if they get 800 hours of filming, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. And if we're on for an hour and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. The 800 hours of filming turns into an hour and a half of TV. Yeah, true enough, true enough. Uh, so, what challenges have you faced that have made you change the, your approach to prospecting and mining as a whole? Oh, gosh. I, I think the biggest thing is that every failure drives change. Like, I hate losing, I hate failing, I love winning, I like being successful. I guess show, show me somebody that likes losing. Yeah, you know you're not going mean? to find but, many people. Uh, the reality is it just drives me. So let's say we have a 
you know, well, going back to the stripping on the mining cut, you know, we had a, a day where we had a terrible time trying to get the dirt out of the bottom. And then so we had to rejig the system. And, you know, that's just small changes. Uh, there was another time I remember about 25 years ago, oh, just about prior, well, probably 30 years ago, yeah. prior to GPS, right, or prior to GPS being common. Mm-hmm. And I went out and chartered a helicopter to fly out to this hard rock project way north of Watson Lake up near the NWT border and my gosh we dropped in the wrong valley oh boy <laughs> right? well because you're Oops. you're you're navving with a map and when you get out there and you go every creek is looking the same way yeah, yeah. you know every creek turns off the main valley the same way and and you just hope that this is the one because there were five in a row and they all look the same and I'm like oh oh that sounds like it could become a quite an expensive mistake to make. Oh, yeah, and that's the type of thing. Again, you have one major mess-up like that, and it alters your entire thing. I, I was probably one of the first people to have a personal GPS in the Yukon, <laughs> just, just because of that. Yeah. You know? It's it's a type of it's a type of mess up you can't afford, right? Yep. You yep. can't afford it. That trip out there cost me again. I had young kids, I had a very little money. You know, you you blow that time what was the helicopter? Five hundred bucks an hour or yep. something and you you lose all that money and it's gone. Yeah. You're in the wrong valley for four days eating friggin' uh fruit bars and chewing on cereal moaning yeah (laughs) moaning profusely because you're nowhere near where you need to be it's it's another 500 an hour helicopter ride or a two-day hike yeah well that's that's the thing and again this was before sat phones where you couldn't phone back to the base and say okay we're done here can we can we get moved over to the next target you know so you just sit out there and yeah, you just have to sit there and sit there and, and ponder how you made such a massive yeah. boo-boo and how you're not going to do it again. So it's it's from the mistakes where you learn the most, right? Yeah, and speaking of, of you know, going out into the, the field and, and doing all this groundwork, you're about to head out in the next couple of weeks for your current season. What are you focusing on this year? Uh, you know, we're we're going to be doing a lot of work for a company called Kestrel Gold. They've picked up a few of my hard rock gold targets here in the Yukon, a little bit of copper gold in northern BC up by Red Chris. And so we're going to be doing, again, a lot of work for Kestrel Gold. Uh, We're probably going to be doing a little bit of work for a company called Darnley Bay Resources. And that's mostly, and then a lot of my own private hard rock prospecting. And, you know, that that cut that shut us down where we ran into the old workings on season four of Yukon Gold. Yep. uh, We've prepared that whole area that is ready to sluice so it's just a matter of uh, running out to the creek throwing some diesel into the machines which are all still there and and then processing that cut oh right on yeah so we, we should have more than enough stuff to do this summer right on uh, yeah there is an election coming up in bc uh in just over a week from now how do you th- think the outcome of this election is going to affect mining uh, and prospecting if there's a change in government well, uh, I'm a big believer in history, and if history is any indication, the election of a left-wing party such as the NDP or Greens will mm, probably decimate the industry. You're you know? not the only one that's they, thinking they, that. Yeah, well, they, they. I mean, look at the past. Yeah. Look at what's happened in the past. I yep. mean, you know, they come in and they do crazy things and... You know, and I mean, it's just, 
and you like to think you know everybody's learned but i you know i quite my opinion of a lot of these things is that they're not going to be happy until we're back living in grass huts and doing self-sufficient farming and infant mortality rates are at about 75% because there's no food. Yeah. You know, that's that's just sort of the, the feel it seems to me every time you, you know, park here and a park there. And yeah, I get you need parks, but I mean, if everything that they wanted was turned into a park, the whole territory would be covered. Yeah, yeah. Right. And right you know, now, apparently, the they're, they're leading in the polls, which is... Oh, yeah. Unfortunate, but that happened the last election as well, and, and look what happened. They they were leading, and they lost it, so we'll yeah, have to well, wait and see. You know, I'm, I'm not... I have a big enough... I'm, I'm in two jurisdictions. Yep. So, I mean, if things go south politically yep. in B.C., uh, you know, we'll just kind of shut down in BC and go to the Yukon. But who knows? I mean, maybe they get in and maybe they do the right thing. I'm not holding my breath on that yeah. one, though. But yeah. you know, you can only you can only hope that if they do, you know, if some left wing party gets in, and, and you can only hope that they remember why they only got one term last time and try and be a little bit better this time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Absolutely, That's your hope. Absolutely. Uh, if you had the opportunity to do all of this again, start over from scratch, would you? And what would you change? Oh, I don't. I don't think I'd change a thing. It's been a great run. Well, that's I mean, excellent to hear. There's not a lot of people that say know, that. Uh, we've we've uh, you know I started out just prospecting by myself. Every so often, I'd hire a helper just because you don't want to go missing in the forest and nobody be able to tell the story. Yep. And, you know, over the years, the, the kids have grown up. I've got an awesome picture of me and my two boys out on a little property south of Whitehorse here, yep. sitting on a hillside. They're dressed up in little Montreal Canadian t-shirts. Check me out on Twitter. You can see it on the the Twitter page I have. Um, What's the Twitter account? Uh, what is my Twitter account? I'll dig that out here in a second. But, you know, suffice to say, it's been a hell of a run. Right. Uh, I haven't had a real job and well, not a real job, but you know what I mean? I haven't had anybody telling me what to do and where to go and ever, Yeah. you know, yeah. Um, I've managed to, you know, uh, provide a good life for the family and, uh, you know, what's not to like. And I've had a lot of fun along the way. Right. I don't think I do a, a, anything different. Boy, oh boy, it's been fun. So where is the Twitter thing? I uh, just looked it up here. It's at Bernie underscore Kreft. At Bernie underscore Kreft. Yeah, you That's got correct. that right. Perfect. So all the little pictures, and we try and keep that thing up to date with uh, some of the goings-on and, and stuff like that that's happening in and about the company and yeah. with me and the kids and little pictures from the hard rock as well as the plaster end of things. So if anybody's interested, that's where you go. Right on, right on. Well, thank you so much, Bernie, for your time today. I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, hopefully we nope. can get you on again at the end of this season uh, for another discussion if you're up to it. No, definitely. There's no shortage. I like people. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Thank you so much and, and good luck to you this year. Okay. Have a good day, man. You too. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this episode of the Gold Prospecting Network. I hope you enjoyed it, and there's much more to come shortly, so check back often to hear the latest episodes and interviews. Please like and share the Gold Prospecting Network Facebook page with your fellow prospectors, and sign up for the newsletter at goldprospectingnetwork.com to get the inside scoop on future guests before they're even recorded. And of course, don't forget, keep the gold pans wet and don't let the color escape. 